What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Diving into something that we have never touched on before, which is ethical non-monogamy <laughs> and is... the swinging lifestyle. Wow. Just, just kidding. Is it opposite day? It's. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about this at length, and it never gets old. It never gets tiring, um, because I feel like even even as someone who has participated in a long-standing relationship that was based around ethical non-monogamy, I still find myself learning and finding, you know, discovering things about it. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love doing this fucking podcast. Well, you only get your own perspective when right. you do things. And then I'm assuming what we're going to hear about are situations where, you know, like even though we're approaching the same concept, we need to do it in mm-hmm. individualized ways and all of our experiences being so unique to who we are and what we bring to our relationship. And that's right. Yeah, and so uh, today we're going to get the uh, the the perspective from Rosie K, uh, who is a an ambassador for MyFet. Definitely want to talk about that, um, but also a swinger lifestyle coach 
and an expert in the field of ethical non-monogamy. Uh, Rosie, thank you for joining us today. Um, please take a moment to, I mean, outside of what I just said there, introduce yourself to our, our listeners and to us. Give us a little bit of a sense of uh, who Rosie Kay is. Hello, thank you very much for your introduction. Um, it's right, I am a swinger lifestyle expert and open relationship coach. I love saying that because I made my job myself um, and <laughs> I've never really heard of anybody else doing it for a living, which is pretty good. It's pretty niche what I do. Um, but yeah, I, I have been in the lifestyle for over 10 years now. And during that 10 years, I always say I spent probably the first five years of my journey getting everything wrong. I learned the hard way. I made so many mistakes. But now I kind of teach people how to do things the right way the first time so they don't have to go through all of the shit that I went through um, <laughs> because we haven't got time for that essentially Ooh. you know people just want to kind of people want to enjoy the best bits of it and but luckily you know I I went through all that so so my, my clients and my listeners and my followers don't have to um but it's certainly it's certainly been a uh, been a very long journey to get to being a um a swinger lifestyle expert because as you can well imagine there ain't nobody to teach you how to do that it's not something which you can go to school to learn it's just simply life experience and the ability to um to, to, to coach people and, and talk to them on a, on a human level. Mm. I, um, I, one thing that we typically love to kind of dig into with our guests is their origin story. And, you know, uh, I feel like when it comes to non-monogamy and in particular, I've, I've found when it comes to swinging, um, everyone's, everyone's sort of origin story is a little bit different and it's always fascinating. Um, so I, I'm, kind of dying to know what is the, like, how did you, what was your sort of entry point to the, to the swinging lifestyle or to non-monogamy? How did that all begin for you? Okay. So a lot of people are really surprised when they learn that initially I, I remember sitting there on the edge of my bed and saying, I'll never go to a swingers club. I'd never have an open relationship. And that's how I said it. I was adamant that I would never have an open relationship. I'd never go to a swingers club. I'd, and I reeled off this list of things that I said I'd never do. And at the time, this was um, in reaction to a conversation I was having with their previous partner at the time who had suggested the swinger lifestyle. And I was absolutely adamant that I would never do that. I'll never, you know, and, and that, that was my response. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a quite a journey in the last 10 years. But because I was in this, you know, very much this mindset and I was hostile. And I was also, I'm gonna say, a bit of a nightmare girlfriend. I was incredibly jealous. Ooh. I was insecure. I was clinging. I was all those things which men are frightened of about women. But also I was in the same position that a lot of female clients are when they come to me or you know couples who have that conversation they're in that position so um the good thing is I know exactly what they're going through I know how it feels to be that woman um but that's where my journey started from a place of mm. hostility and fear essentially mm. um do you mind but, I'm, I'm curious on. like like to that point do you what was it like what was the thing that was making you say no what was the thing that 
sparked that hostility? What was the fear? Like, what were your feelings in that moment when it first came to light that, like, maybe this was something your partner was thinking about, sort of? Because I was convinced. I had very low self-esteem and I was very insecure anyway. That partner with the fact that when you think about the lifestyle, all you think of, or a lot of women think of, is he's going to leave me. He doesn't love me enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. If only I was more of him, if only I could satisfy him. And that's where it stemmed from. It was that feeling of, if I was enough for my man, he wouldn't want to have sex with the women. And it was that feeling of, he's going to up and leave me for somebody who's better. The grass is definitely greener for him. And it was that that I was terrified of. It wasn't having sex with other people. It wasn't being naked around other people. And it wasn't like the thought of another man touching me or having sex with me. It was the thought of my partner being taken away. My world, I, I was I was very overdramatic. My world being ripped apart. Right. It was that kind of, um, you know, that's what I was envisioning. And that was the thing that was the most frightening for me. That's so interesting. And I, and I, feel like that is really common, like in just in our evolution, like to be afraid to be abandoned by the person that we like so much rely on for our our emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. But then it's also paired, at least from my perspective, also as a woman with this feeling, it's not just like he might leave me for someone else, but it's also like almost a rage type of fear in terms of my own feeling that that woman might be better than Mm me. Not just that my partner might leave, but that I might not, that she, that she, like, I want to destroy her like that sort of feeling, you know, it's like very visceral, that sensation that you're describing for me anyway, when I've, when I've had it. Yeah. And it's something which, the more the more kind of self um aware i've become but also the more work i've done on this and when i when i retrained and, and became a relationship coach the more i started to kind of dig into why it is where are those where those emotions stem from and what's really coming into play it really does all boil down to when you peel back the layers if you like it it stems from that vulnerability and that's fear of abandonment and that fear of um, you know, everything, you know, everything you've kind of grown to build being ripped from you. Um, and it is a, it, it, it is vulnerability, but it does manifest in so many people as this, almost this anger and this, um, not, not violence, I'm going to say, but there is that real, um, venom behind it. Mm. It's like prime. It's like primordial. It's, it's very like a, primal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's really hard to uh you know I, you know I teach people that you know this is anger that you're experiencing but really it's vulnerability and really it's fear and you've got to kind of put the anger to one side and I can see them look, looking at me thinking not a fucking chance like, <laughs> I'm like what you have to do is take a breath and you know understand that it's your vulnerability which is making you feel like this and they're like I just want to close someone's eyes out a hundred percent so so even before that origin story, because because we've taken it like taken it already into feeling like uh, you might lose what you'd built. Like growing up, did you have any examples of like wh- like what was your own? What did you witness in your own family in terms of what was possible for 
a loving, healthy relationship, fulfilling relationship? So my background, again, this surprises people. My background is um, I grew up in a monogamous household. I am very much the black sheep of the family. My I have siblings and they are monogamous. They are very family orientated. You know, they have children. They have, though, you know, that that's how they've decided to lead life. Um, nobody, as far as I'm aware in my family, identifies it in any other way other than heterosexual and uh, practice monogamy. So it's not something which I was exposed to. I grew up in an area of the UK which was quite conservative, quite rural. So again, I wasn't exposed to kind of, you know, outside influences or, you know, other ways of thinking. Um, the only the only thing which I which I always come back to is the fact that I I've known from a very young age that I was bisexual. Um have always identified that way even when I didn't know what it was. And for me, that was, although I was very hostile, that was one thing which was a driving force because I was curious and I, I did want to kind of find out more about the possibility of, of having a woman involved. Although I probably wanted to attack the woman at the time, um, <laughs> it was very conflicting, but that's the only thing which was kind of, uh, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you like. But in terms of my, my upbringing, where I came from, um, absolutely nobody who I could relate to at all. Mm -hmm. So the relationship that you found yourself in, in this conversation, how, how many, how long had you been together and how, how did we go from that initial conversation to, to, to give, to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I moved to London, um, I was, I was very young. I was 24 years old. I moved to London and I was quite naive and quite not vulnerable, but I was quite naive. I'd never really been in the big city, if you like. Um, and I met um, a guy who he was about eight years older than me and he was incredibly worldly, I'm going to say. Um, and he was very, he was a London boy. He, he you know, grown up there and he was very accustomed to all different ways of, of, of experiencing life. Um, but me and him clicked because I'm also quite um, quite bohemian, um, quite alternative in my own way. So we, you know, we, we started dating and about six months into our, you know, I felt comfortable enough to open up to him about sexuality. And we, you know, we, we'd go to sex shops and we'd talk about sex and, and things like that. So it wasn't really a, you know, an issue for us to talk about. Um, about six months into our relationship, he, you know, he suggested why don't we go to a swingers club? Um, so that's how it came about. But I wasn't really surprised when he said it. Um, but it was still it was still difficult for me to get my head around. Yeah, six months seems like early on in a relationship, mm. but at the same time, also maybe beneficial to just be like right off the bat, being yeah. like, this is something that I could I'm see it being easier six months in rather than <laughs> six years in. Yeah. Just all of a sudden going, swingers club tonight? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and something I always I wrote I wrote a piece of work um a few months ago, which was all based on how to tell somebody that you like swinging. And this was this this piece came about because at the time I was dating, um, and it was like, How soon do you tell somebody what you like and what you're into? And to be honest, 
it's pretty much like straight away because if they're not right for you or if they are against that idea or they don't accept you, then there's no point in continuing that, you know, developing that relationship. Um, because, it, you know, in my opinion, I, I kind of don't have time to kill. I don't have time to waste. If, you know, you accept me as I am, well, that's it, you know. I'm not going to change for you, um, which I know is a little bit controversial. Um, but for, for me, I always teach people, you know, lay your cards on the table. If somebody's wants to be part of that journey, they will be. If not, don't waste your time on them, essentially. I think that makes sense. I mean, it's just, it's really hard because at the beginning of a relationship, you don't put all your cards on the table. You put only the best looking cards yeah, on the table. Yeah, I know. I know. This, this, yes, yes, we do. And this <laughs> is what I used to do all the time. And it came back to bite me because men, <laughs> not going to man bash, but, you know, we, we only allow people to see our best bits and the bits we want them to see. And people are selective. And although you may present them with five cards, they only really like three. So they ignore the last two and they hope that goes away. It doesn't go away. <laughs> you are who you are. Accept me as I am. That's what I say. Yeah. I, so you, so in this, in this conversation where, you know, it comes up and you go, fuck that. There's no way, mm -hmm. there's no way I'm doing that. What did the conversations look like to get you to a point where you were, you know, you were like leaning towards saying, okay, maybe we can give this a shot. Like, like, how did you get from that point of, of like, you know, like we said earlier, that like primal fear mm -hmm. of, of losing everything that you, you can like, you know, like, like almost losing a sense of your life, having, mm -hmm. having your life kind of like ripped apart to being confident and, and like, you know, curious enough to dabble your toes into the swinging lifestyle risk it um that's a really good question and the turning point for me is kind of when he he laid out his intentions if you like and, and we began to kind of formulate some rules and boundaries and he said look he's not looking to replace me it's not because he doesn't love me it's not because he doesn't find me desirable and once I heard that from him and he kind of said it you know it's about the sex and it's about us two enjoying this thing together and being honest with each other being able to have these conversations because it's all about that honest you know that that intimacy but being honest and and accepting human nature as well and once it kind of gave me that it was much easier to look at it as a shared activity if you like a shared mm. hobby not not I want to go and do this because I just want sex with somebody else it was mm. more like how do you feel about exploring this possibility together but we'll go very much as a couple and we'll leave as a couple um and it, it was that kind of you know it was that conversation which made me think actually this may not be as bad as what I thought mm. um but I think one of the most important things I did or, you know, one of the crucial things was I remember chatting to a couple who were in a very similar position and I opened up to the woman and I said, I was terrified of meeting you because I thought this, this and this. And she said, I was terrified of meeting you because I thought this, this and this. And we realised we were actually terrified of each other but also attracted to each other at the same time. And it was like such a <laughs> such a weird situation to be in. And once we kind of realized that we're not looking to run off with each other's men, and 
I really fancy you and I really fancy you as well, but I'm also shit scared. Oh, I am too. Oh, okay, let's do this. Ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Common ground. It, yeah, it was it was such a weird experience to have, but it was like, oh, there are other people like me, you mm. know? Um, but I had to put myself through the motion of actually meeting with that couple and taking those steps because if not, I would have always, I wouldn't have known essentially. Mm. And so how slowly do you coach people to take this process or how quickly do you coach people to get make um, that first meeting? <laughs> some people, they, some but you know, normally when I work with a couple, usually there's one person, the man who wants to speed things up and wants to get down to it. Whereas very often the female partner wants to take things slowly and have more conversation. Um, I always tell people, you know, slow things down, move at the pace of the least experienced or least comfortable person. Um, but also, you know, having a conversation about it, starting looking online and then doing that for a few weeks and get comfortable talking about it, get comfortable chatting to other people and flirting with them. And then maybe after a few weeks or, you know, a month's time, maybe go on a vanilla date. But the slower you take things, the better. Um, because you, for me, you can never have too much conversation about these things. Um, some people, they want to kind of like, you know, they'll book a session with me and then they think you know that's it she's going to turn us into swingers um Mm -hmm. it doesn't really work like that at all you can't you can't turn somebody into into a swinger um if I if I could I'd be a lot more rich than I am um (laughs) you know I'd I'd have bottled it and sold it by now um but yeah you know the, the the slower the process the better for me but also I think what people realize is and you'll probably understand this as well like once you start on this journey you kind of like keep exploring and keep discovering more. And you realize actually there's thousands of other things and scenarios that you're interested in and it evolves and it's always changing. Um, and mm. from there, people, you know, they keep they keep on it, you know, different things that they want to want to enjoy. Mm. What the, like in looking back at that first experience that you had. um. And in particular, looking at the period of time where like you, you sort of took that chance, that leap of going, all right, I'm going to go full on headfirst into this. Um, so, you know, you're, you're past the point of like, oh, I don't know, like it's a little scary and, and you go, you know what? Okay. I'm going to, we're going to do this. Um, in that process of going for it fully. In, in, and with time, you know, where, where you are now in retrospect, looking back, were there things that you look at now and go, ah, I, I could have, it could have, I could have done that better. Or that it, it might've been, I, I would have done this a little more gentle. Like what were the mistakes that you feel like you made looking back oh, that you I really made, wouldn't want your clients to be making today? I made plenty of mistakes. Mm. Um, and this, this was partly because I I didn't have anybody to learn from when when I first started. There was no, there was nobody in, who who was relatable. The only people who I found were talking about swinging were older U.S. based couples who I could not relate to. There was nobody to teach me, and I couldn't open up to my friends. I couldn't. The, so there was nobody. A few of the things which I did wrong, which I still, I won't say beat myself about, but I 
don't want anybody to go through was um, taking one for the team. I, I've done that and it's a horrible feeling and ultimately just makes resentment set in. Mm. Um, also, kind of, <laughs> people often think that if you're a swinger, you like orgies and you like gangbangs and you like that kind of, but not at all. That for me is my nightmare. I do not like <laughs> it. I, I, I'm a very dominant woman and the thought of being in that situation is like an absolute no-go, but I I learned the hard way because I did that to please a male partner and I kept doing that to please him and all the time I was becoming incredibly anxious and nervous mm. and really quite afraid because I'm also um, a bit of an overthinker and when you put yourself in that very vulnerable position, you can't, If I'm going to be very graphic, if you can't, if your mouth is full and there's things going on, you can't always look to see what other people are doing. And it's like sensory mm-hmm. overload. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. And I, you know, I did that on, on numerous occasions and I don't want anybody else to go through that just to please their partner. Um, also, there's been times when people have broken rules in front of me, you know, partners have, 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 have broken rules and I perhaps haven't, um, made noise about that you know mm-hmm. I, I I've mm-hmm. kind of brushed it under the carpet and and not had a conversation and not pulled somebody up on it you know just because I wanted to keep the peace and didn't want to rock the boat um and I shouldn't have done mm. these days I'd never do that you know I'd, can I'd you know can you but, give us an example of what that what that was like what you know I, I think when people when people are I feel like for people who aren't when, aren't in a non-monogamous relationship or aren't swingers and they've been monogamous their whole life. Um, it's hard for them to conceptualize what these, what that life might look like or what that might mm-hmm. feel like. Or, you know, it's like when I, I, I had a conversation once with someone who thought like, Oh, well, if you're polyamorous, then, then how can your partner, che- how could you be, how could your partner cheat on you? I don't understand. Like what would, that doesn't make sense to me. They're having sex with other people. So like, how is it cheating? Mm. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's cheating if they've, if they, if they do something that goes against the like boundaries that you have set mm. in your, in your relationship. So like, what, what were an example of like something that happened to you that you went, you know what I, this was, this was against the, the boundaries that I was comfortable with and that, it, and that we had set and this person went against that and I didn't speak up about it. Like what, what are, you know, what is an example of that? So this always surprises people when I talk about it. And some people laugh um, when I say this, but because I'm a swinger and I'm quite sexually experienced. But for me, when I'm in a relationship with somebody and we are swinging as a couple, one hard limit that I have is I don't, and I don't like, I don't accept my partner kissing other swingers passionately. You know, when you kiss somebody mm. like it's your partner and it's full on and it's intimate and it's emotional, that type of kiss is reserved only between me and my partner. And you do not kiss other swingers like that. And I don't kiss other swingers like that, even females. Like I don't do it because I think it's so emotional. And so for me, it's, it's more intimate and emotional than having sex. Kissing for me is more important. And it's reserved only for me and a you know a long term partner. And I went to you know I went to a swingers club with a, a previous partner. I just like to add a fucking previous, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> he got his confidence, and we you know went to a swingers club. And 
we were chatting to this couple and they were like, you know, do you want to play with us? And uh, he he passionately kissed this other woman. And I I I I know there was emotion behind that because I could see it. And it it broke my fucking heart, to be honest, to see that mm. because it was so there was no filter, you know, he didn't even it just he just he didn't even try and sneak off to do it. He just did it right in front of me. And it was it was a horrible emotion, a horrible feeling. It was horrible mm-hmm. to just stand there and be powerless. But also at the same time, I felt really pathetic as well. Um and I almost like, oh, pull yourself together, you know, just it doesn't, it doesn't matter, and try and get on with it and didn't want to ruin the vibe for everybody. It was horrible. I don't want anybody to go through that. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean... I can imagine what that must have felt like and and that feeling of like just like pull it together like it maybe that maybe that's just a like an arbitrary rule that I can like I can swallow for the time being um but there's something so heartbreaking when you're in a situation where there's so much room for play and exploration yeah. and activities that there being one thing that your partner just doesn't won't won't honor it it yeah. feels like well how how can i trust you yeah. it's hugely disrespectful hugely yeah. and if if that happened to me now i'd 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 make a lot of noise um <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and i i wouldn't stand for that but i don't think i'd date anybody who would try and break those rules I wouldn't date anybody who was that disrespectful to me in the first place um but you know I've 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 definitely learned the hard way um but yeah it's it's horrible it's a horrible thing and and people laugh because they're oh you know you won't kiss swingers that's stupid you'll do all this but you'll kiss somebody Mm -hmm. no because kissing is 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 more than just a a physical act it's emotional Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think that reaction, that reaction that people have just comes from this. It comes from the way that, I mean, that's a very, like, that's a very monogamous way of looking at things mm-hmm. where it's, you know, that's just, that's just a narrow minded view of being stuck in this idea that sex, sex is, uh, is sacred. And anything that isn't sex is sort of not as big of a deal. And it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, I heard so-and-so, I, you know, I saw them at the bar and, and they, kissed this, they kissed this other person. And I know that they're in a relationship with this other person. Someone goes, ah, well, it's just a kiss. But to yeah. somebody else, that kiss is like, the, that's, that's a massive deal. You know, yeah. um, I just, I, we, I, I feel like we, there's, there's so many people out there that just have this like really narrow view on like, you know, it's like a hierarchy of, well, no, well, if, if the penis, if the penis goes in the vagina, that's the, that's the pinnacle of the pyramid of no-nos. And then, and, the, and, and, but actually, actually if the penis goes in the butt, that's even higher. But then if the penis goes in the mouth, well, it's not good, but it's, pr- but it's not as bad as in the butt. And if, you know, it's like, okay, all of that is, is ridiculous because it's subjective. And, yeah. and the reason we know it's subjective is because, <laughs> because you exist, because people exist out there that are living, a, you know, living a, a particular lifestyle where you set your boundaries, you set the things that you look at to say, Hey, this doesn't feel good for me. This, I don't mind, you know, anyway, whatever, a little bit of a, a pointless rant there, but I, I do, <laughs> I, I like, I, I, I think it's I think it's quite lovely that you have this ability to identify okay passionate kissing that doesn't feel good for me when I see my partner doing it that with someone else. But if my partner is getting blown by this other person fucking whatever like I'm getting eaten yeah. out over here on the side so <laughs> yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, but the exactly. kissing part exactly. is the one part that just doesn't yeah. like feel good and it's like hey good for you to be able to identify that. And I feel like that's a thing that maybe people that are that are hoping like, or, or investigating whether or not they want to kind of dive into a swingers lifestyle or not ethical non-monogamy. It's really hard for people to identify those things so specifically the way that you have laid out. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I guess to that point, like what is, what do you, how do you encourage clients to investigate the things that mean the most to them when it comes to setting boundaries? Because it's so subjective from couple to couple, from person to person. Well, I always tell them or advise them to start from a place of safe sex. And because, you know, people say to me they want to establish their rules, but they have no idea how to draw them. And I always say start from a place of safe sex, because ultimately we need to make sure that us as individuals, that we are safe, that we're also thinking of our partner. We're not putting anyone else at risk. So start from this place. And then once you've kind of identified what steps you want to take, then you start looking at your biggest fears and worries. And even if they're irrational, even if you think they're really far-fetched, write them down because then we can start to kind of unpick, um, you know, where they stem from. And also I, I get the, I get, if two people in a relationship, I get, each person to write down their their rules and boundaries separately mm. um, and then they come back to me a week later and they share them uh, with me and we compare notes essentially and sometimes it's quite surprising um that they say you know 
there's uh, there's a couple I'm working with at the minute who are in states and for him he is very happy to see her have sex with another man he doesn't want to get involved himself he just wants to watch and for him penetrative sex you know her having penetrative sex with a guy is like the best thing ever whereas for her the thought of being penetrated by another man is an absolute no-no um so really it's about kind of like uh finding that compromise um but also tapping into their biggest worries and fears about whatever it is and and then starting from there um because you can kind of like work with those vulnerabilities and those fears um, but yeah, I always try and get people to start from a, a practical level of, of, of safety, um, and, and very kind of real concerns, um, and then start, start addressing other, other issues, which, mm. which they may be worried about. Yeah, that's, uh, geez, that, what a, what a unique, I mean, maybe not so unique, but what an interesting situation to have someone who's like, I want to, I, you know, I want to, I want to watch you have penetrative sex with somebody else. And the other person's like, I don't even want to think about somebody else having penetrative yeah. sex with me. But yeah. the thing, you know, the thing, the thing that I think is really important to remember, especially for people listening to this, who might have an interest in like one day, one day dipping their toes into uh, this sort of lifestyle or uh, relationship dynamic is that, and you said this earlier, but it's like, it's ever evolving. It's always, it's always capable of changing and shifting. And, mm. um, even when you're starting out, when it feels like, you know, say, say there's a, a couple where, you know, one of the people in the couple is really into the, the thought of exploring polyamory, but the other person is not. And there's a lot of resistance there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for some people, when they find themselves in that position, the person who's in, in the shoes of going, well, I really want to explore this, but my partner doesn't all of a sudden they start to maybe have thoughts of like, well, fuck, maybe this relationship isn't just going to, isn't going to work out. Maybe this mm. isn't the relationship for me to be in mm. when in reality, sure, that might be the case, but also it could just as well be that there just needs to be a little bit more time and a little bit more of a deep investigation into the feelings and the thoughts and the fears. And that could take you down a lane where all of a sudden everyone's getting what it is that they need and desire to feel safe, to feel fulfilled. And it really, you know, and if you look back a year ago, you probably never would have thought you would have made it to this point in the first place. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting um, that you, you brought that up because one, I, I'm not polyamorous and I have tried it. And I can't get on board with it. It's just not for me. But how I learned about it was I was in a relationship with somebody who identified as polyamorous. And I was that person who was really frightened. And this was only a few years ago. I was absolutely terrified of, you know, what if, what if, you know, well, she's with me, but actually she's, you know, she's with this other person and what are they doing? And, and, and I was getting myself in this kind of like this, this state of how I was, you know, years ago. Well, what I realized was that it's very liberating to give consent without the need or the want for active participation. Mm. Um, and I found that, yes, we were in a relationship, but she's also 
uh, in a, a subdom dynamic with a, a dominant guy. And I, I, I'm a dominant woman, but essentially I don't have the tackle. Like I can't pe- compete with a man. And she got so much from that dynamic that I could never give her. And when I looked at it, I realized actually by allowing her that, that that freedom and by allowing her that ability to go and have that and explore that and enjoy that relationship. It's like, what better gift can you give to your partner? And it it, it wasn't really as scary as, as what I imagined it to be. Um, but it's really hard to see that at the time. You, you can't mm. see it. I don't think you, you just don't know what that's going to be like. Mm. Something that came up while Jeremy was talking and, and you too, is just that the, this conversations like this that are so scary for couples to have or sometimes to like to broach even if there's never any action taken on it just the ability to to learn the skills of conversation and of observing and and managing your own emotions while you're having conversations that might stimulate all those fears mm-hmm. like they would enrich most monogamous relationships, I think, mm. conversations. I mean, and then, or you find out something that you just can't live with, or you know, you you can't get off your mind. But I'm I'm curious. In your coaching experience, have you do you have like sessions with them after they've they've gone out and tried it? Like, is there much aftercare that you provide in terms of like, let's talk about what happened? Yeah, so I, I often find that couples, especially and, and single people as well, but they'll, you know, they'll start their journey with me and they'll kind of see an event they want to go to, or perhaps I'll find clubs or events for them to go to that are suitable. Um, and they'll kind of I'll work with coach them up to a point of like getting them ready to go. And they'll go to the event and I'll say, okay, we'll book in for a session in a week's time or two weeks' time, and we'll talk about what that was like and they'll have this you know they'll go and maybe they'll do all the things they want or maybe it'll be very different to what they thought um and then they'll come back to me and we'll kind of unpack it and we'll talk about what emotions came up who did you meet how did you feel how you know was there any jealousy was there any problems did you actually find that you did enjoy certain aspects was it you know did you discover that you enjoyed playing in a dungeon you know what what you know we, we, we dissect it um so yeah it's very much I don't kind of like just send them off they, they you know people keep coming back to me and and we you know or they'll oh you know we met a couple who were into uh cook holding how can we find out about this mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it people never really stop evolving and learning which is good mm. in your experience are swingers general do, do swingers ever have long-term pair-ups with other swingers like they're not in a polyamorous like quad but we a polycule have re- a polycule mm-hmm. but they <laughs> regularly swing with the same couple or couples on a on a long-term basis uh yeah some people do um some people have you know their their swinger friends who they go on holidays with or they go meet in clubs um yeah it's not it's not uncommon um for for people to have this so yeah yeah okay it's quite normal I always picture okay I have a very distinct image of swinging in my mind and it's like (laughs) must be from a movie that I saw and picture like Goldie Hawn 
and Kurt Russell. <laughs> it's not them, obviously, but in this movie, it's a great big mansion. And but generally, people, I always always thought that if I was in a swinging situation, I would definitely want to be in the same room mm-hmm. as my partner is with their other mm-hmm. amour amore. Um, is that is that like something that people have to negotiate as well? Like I, I would imagine for me, at least there's a little bit more, maybe a little more anxiety at the thought that I don't, I can't see or know for sure what's going on with my partner. Yeah. If I, if they're so, in a different room. First of all, I think, I think the image that you thought of is, is something which a lot of people think of, um, when they think <laughs> of swingers, um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, uh, in, in real life, we, we don't all get down like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, same room swap is very common. Um, people do kind of go to swimming clubs or parties and kind of both go off and play. But most of the time, if you're a couple, you kind of are swapping with another couple or having another person involved or both involved in a, a group thing. Um, that That's quite normal. Um, I mean, there are people who who do things separately in, you know, different areas of a club or, you know, there is that whole thing of like one person, kind of like what I experienced, one person being involved in something while the other person was present, but you couldn't see them. That's mm-hmm. quite popular as well. Um, it just, it just depends like how people want to do things. But for most people, they, you know, same room swap is is how they get down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is it, it I mean, I, I I totally understand that it's like it's different from couple to couple to couple to person to person. Um, but is there is there a practice in the world of swinging where like someone's like, I'm staying home tonight to do taxes. But you if you want to go out and like have your time with, you know, whatever that other couple or your other friend, then you go for it. I'm just actually going to like stay home with the kids tonight or whatever. Um, it, like, is that, is that, do you, does that happen too? Or, or is that kind of, is that sort of crossing over into polyamory or, you know, uh, or the more of a world of like open relationship type thing? Um, no, it does happen. Um, some people call it hot wifing when the hot wife or girlfriend will go out with a guy or a girl or a couple, whoever it is, and go and enjoy that and come back and tell the guy about it. Um, and that's how he enjoys it and kind of relives it when they reconnect. Mm. Um, and, you know, that that's what they do. Sometimes it's not as common for men to go out and do that and come home and tell a woman about it. Not many women get down like that. Um, <laughs> but it does. Yeah, you're, you're, you're very right in that it kind of crosses over into that open relationship dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, having having been in an open relationship um with a bisexual man and he would go out and meet with a couple and and meet with a guy you know it's yeah it it is that like it is more of an open relationship um but yeah there's no I always say to people there's no right or wrong way to do things as long as it's ethical and consensual because ultimately we all enjoy different types of sex and different intimacies Mm -hmm. um so yeah um, is it, you said you work with, you're working with a couple in the United States, obviously you're based in the UK. Do yeah. you, have you, 
since you've started this um, endeavor, have you noticed any differences uh, between trends in swinging in the U.S. versus trends in swinging in the U.K.? Um, I would... <laughs> Because, the accents. because essentially the UK <laughs> is this big and the US is this big. And um, that's something which I, I struggled to get my head around a bit. And also I'm quite geographically challenged. And also like if you're here in the UK, you can live in London and you can go to a club in the north of the country in a night, essentially. Or, mm. you know, it, it's not that much of a big deal. Whereas in the States, because everything is so big, it's like Ooh. it takes much more time and effort to get to places. And it's much more of a trip, you know, to to, to go to a club or to a resort or something. So people put a lot more time and effort into going and visiting things um in terms of kind of how people get down uh it, it is pretty much the same some of the websites are more popular in the states some sites are more popular in 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 the uk um but other than that it's it's pretty much the same really um I, but i have got quite a lot of us-based clients which like i was never anticipating that at mm. all but um, and sometimes I, I confuse them with some of the, some of my terminology, and I have to explain myself. But um, yeah, it's it, it's been it's been quite an eye opener. But also, I feel quite good because when people first approached me from the states, I thought, how can I help these people? Like, I can't recommend clubs. I haven't been to them. I don't know where the fuck they are. But what I found was that why you know people in the States, couples in the States and single people are experiencing exactly the same difficulties and going through the same motions as people here in the UK. So if I can get them to a point that I can, the UK-based couples, there's not really any difference. Mm. Um, And I was very honest with them and I said, look, I haven't been to these clubs. I don't know what they're like. But the more couples went to them and they could kind of report back to me and I could say, oh, okay, so it's like mm. this and this, and it's suitable. And then when more people approached me, I could say, okay, well, I know this couple went to this club, they had a great time, or they didn't have a good time, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been a learning curve for sure. Mm. I yeah, I never really thought about how because I do like even just from looking at your website and talking about events and stuff, I would assume that there's many more, there's a density of events in the UK that that I never really thought about how much more spread out that would be through the U.S. And thinking about like we've interviewed people who um, direct like swingers cruises and like swinger mm. yeah. uh, vacations, mm. which is a whole other thing that I yep. we didn't really touch on in this conversation yeah. that I forgot was an option <laughs> yeah. even. Yeah. But I suppose, you know, when it comes to like what you are, you know, the important part of what you are doing is much less about the recommendations of which clubs to go to and more so about the universal experience that people have when it comes to trying to cross that threshold into mm. a new relationship dynamic. Um, because that's the important part, you know, like mm. the, 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 I think it's secondary, the, 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 you know, the, the spaces that you can go and explore those things are obviously an important part, but really it's like, how do you manage the emotions? The space How do you man- within. Yes, the space within. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, th- this is, again, like I said at the beginning, this, it's, I always love diving into this, this subject matter because there's, it's just, um, 
it's endlessly fascinating. It's always fun to hear other people's experiences. And, um, and I, first of all, thank you for taking time to like sit down and chat with us, but how can people find, so someone listening to this right now is like, Hey, me and my partner, we've been talking about, you know, going down this route, but we, we never, we haven't really taken that step, but this sounds like, uh, you know, what you're offering sounds like something that would be of benefit to them. How can people find you and, uh, get involved with the work that you do? So you can find me on my website, thiskindofgirl.co.uk. You can find me on my Instagram social media, uh, which is rosie underscore k underscore coating. Uh, and you can find me on all other social media like TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all these things um, with This Kind of Girl 2022. Um, and that's how you can find me. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.